pay attention to the screen. Sometimes our future is just chosen for us. It's nothing we ever intended or we would even dream of. It just takes us by surprise. I was there. I saw it with my own two eyes. I saw Jesus getting baptized by John the Baptist. I saw him heal that blind man. Uh, he cast demons uh, out of people. And that little girl, he raised that little girl from the dead. I talked with Mary when she came back from an empty tomb. And I was there that night that Peter wanted to replace Judas. And it came down to two people, Barsabbas and myself. And we would cast lots to decide. I was devoted. There's no question about that. I trailed him wherever he went. I watched his every move. But this, God would either call me or he wouldn't call me. Either way, I knew I would never be the same man again. And then suddenly, it was me. God chose me to be one of the 12. Amazing. And it was almost like a whisper. Sometimes your future is just chosen for you. And I knew what I had to do. The answer was clear. I would not just watch him. I wouldn't just trail him. I will follow him. With complete abandon, I will trust him completely. I will go wherever he goes. I will love God. And I will love others. And I will lead. Bibles with you, I want you to open to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at verses 18 through 20 in just a few moments. But before we do, I want to set the stage. Easter is over. The cross is empty. The grave is empty. What now? What now? What is it that we are to do? Just as Matthias shared with us that after Jesus had died and Judas had been found dead and 
They were down to 11. God called him to be one of his followers. God is calling us to be a follower. But not just a follower, but a leader. In John's gospel, in verse, or chapter 20, in verse 21, Jesus said, As my Father has sent me, so I send you. These were the words of Jesus to his disciples after he appeared to them on the day of his resurrection. Of all the things that Jesus could have said that day, he chose these particular words. And that's significant, and here's why. It's clear from all the four Gospels, as we read through them after the resurrection, Jesus is single-minded on his mission to share the good news throughout the world. Jesus fulfilled his earthbound position to his mission. He led, he taught, he revealed, he went to the cross, He went to the grave, and none of them could hold him. He had fulfilled all that was required of him. And now it would soon be time for his followers to fulfill their part in the mission to take the gospel to the nations. And so it is that we see the answer To Easter is over, what now? So Jesus' words, as John remembered them, are not surprising. But they are direct, and they are a directive. As my Father sent me, I so send you. The impact of the resurrection of the on the disciples and the other followers of Jesus was so transformative that nearly every apostle met in violent deaths for their refusal to recant the truth that they had witnessed the resurrection of Jesus for themselves. Talk about a gospel impact. Indeed, the resurrection is a paramount to our faith and worthy of our highest celebrations. And we did that. We concluded last week After two nights of drama sharing the story, we concluded last Sunday, Sunday morning early with a a celebration and Sunday morning worship with another celebration. And we sent you home to continue celebrating the resurrection of the Lord. But if all we do is celebrate the resurrection and then go on with life as if it had never had an impact, we've missed what those words meant to the first disciples. So I welcome you this morning to the Sunday after Easter. I want to start by asking a question. Now what? What do we do from here? What are we called to do? What should we do? What is it that there is left to do? What do we do now that Easter is over? If you look back over the last few months, we started off talking about the advent of Christ 
in his coming. And prior to the end of November, the 1st of December, we talked about Advent, the preparation for the birth of Jesus. Then we headed into Christmas and we celebrated right here on this stage and our young people celebrated with their own play of, of Christ's birth. And then we looked at the life of Christ and you know we talk about the fact that his life is leading towards something it's, and we prepare for Lent the preparation for Jesus' death and resurrection, something we did this year. Then we prepared a drama and shared with the community what the last days of Jesus' life truly looked like, what the resurrection was, and what judgment will be like. And now... The next significant event the church thinks about is that of Pentecost. After 50 days, after the resurrection, the, the, the fulfillment of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit into the followers of Christ. We talked about that some in our Sunday school class this morning. And then we know that Pentecost also leads to the birth of the church. So we see the Easter is done. It's in the rearview mirror, but it is not the end result. It is important to understand the concept of the fact that Easter is not the end. It's not the stopping point. We can't just sit back now and take it easy now that Easter is over. I know that it sounds like the end, Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, he's ascended into the Father. The end of the story. Except for it's not. It's not the end of the story, it's actually the next act. It's the beginning of what we're to do. What is our responsibility? What are we to do now that we, the church, are left here in the world? Here's the deal. Jesus' death upon the cross, his resurrection from the grave, doesn't save the human race. What it does do, however, is it provides a means by which the human race can be saved. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he shouted out, It is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished, reminding us that the work of salvation is finished. The plan of salvation that God had set from the beginning has been set in stone. Now the job that we have is taking that plan of salvation that God has created to a lost and dying world. And that job is for the church. And the church is you and I. Our job from here out after Easter is to take the message of what Jesus did for the world to the world so that we might tell them of what Christ has done for them. Think about that famous verse that we all know. We all know John 3.16. Listen to again what it says. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that, what does it say? What is his purpose? So that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever believes, Jesus offers the plan of salvation. But we, we must accept it. Jesus offers those outside the doors of the church the plan, but they must accept it. The tool by which this happens is us, the church. We are the mouth. We are the gospel proclamators. It is our job to tell others what Jesus has done for us and what he can do for them. Before his ascension, Jesus issued what has become known as the Great Commission. That's what we're going to read in just a moment in John's Gospel. A commission is an authoritative command a directive, a command given by someone with authority. When Jesus spoke those words directly to his disciples and indirectly to you and I today, he was giving the church marching orders. He was telling us exactly what to expect and what he expected us to do uh, with his physical absence. The disciples took the Lord's command seriously. As a matter of fact, they went into the world and they shared the gospel of Jesus and thousands upon thousands were saved by the grace of God. As a matter of fact, the message in which they proclamated was so powerful and their witness was so effective that the critics accused them of turning the world upside down. But that was then. And this is now. And I wonder if we've allowed the Great Commission to become the Great Omission, where we have allowed ourselves to admit ourselves from the task. Oh, that's somebody else's job. Oh, that's somebody else's responsibility. Oh, that's somebody else's call. I want to say to you today that God still expects his people to take his message to a lost and dying world that they might hear the wonderful truth, salvation for all who believe. Now let me back that up with scripture. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Let's stand together in honor of the reading of the word, and I want to share with you exactly what Jesus told his disciples and is telling us today. In Matthew's gospel, he reminds us, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He's reminding us, I have the authority to say what I'm about to say. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even 
unto the end of the world. Amen. May God bless his word and may you be seated this morning. I want to share with you a few things that this passage of scripture reminds us of our responsibility to go forth. Easter is over. Now what? Now go forth and proclaim the very command that God has given to all of us who believe. First of all, we find in verse 19 that we have a divine mandate. The mandate of the Great Commission is simply to go. Do you notice it didn't say stay where you are, sit where you are, um, uh, you know, hang where you are. It says go. The word is an action word. It means that we ought to be doing something about the command in which we've received. We cannot go if we're sitting still. We cannot go if we stay where we are. We cannot go if we don't make a move. This verb literally means as you go. In other words, as you're living out your life, how many of us today are living out our lives? All of us. I don't see any of you as dead here yet this morning. So you're living out your life. So as you're living out your life, you have a responsibility. As we pass through this world, we're to carry the gospel message with us, sharing it with everyone we meet along life's way. We do this two ways. Over the years, I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, I like to see a good sermon rather than hear one. Yep, I agree. I agree. So the first thing that we need to be reminded of is that our lifestyle has to be that of going into the world and sharing the gospel. Our life has to represent the transformation of Christ in us. Our lifestyle has to be one of a follower of Christ. So it involves our lifestyle. Like salt, our light should create in others a thirst for the Lord. Our joy, our peace, our differences from the world, that which makes us different from the standards of this world should cause others to want to know why we're willing to live opposite of the world's standards. Our lives should be as great spotlight which directs its beam towards Jesus, not us. If he is our focus of our life, men will see him as we live out our life for him day by day. Let Christ so dwell in you that others see Christ in you and through you. Yes, it is important that we live a life, that we show a, a sermon. It is important that we go out into the world and that we are identified as being different from the world around us. Otherwise, we blend in and we make no difference in the world around us. The resurrection of Jesus Christ should not leave us the same. It should change us dramatically. So, it involves our lifestyle. But here's the problem. A lot of people say, well, I don't say anything. I just show everything. The problem is, even though we should be the 
Our life should be the Bible that many people never read. But a lot of people are confused because you know what? There are a lot of good people still in this world that are lost and going to hell. I read on a tombstone one time that it said, Here lies John Rowe, um, come follow him where he go. No, no, no thank you. I don't know where John Rowe went, so I'm not following John Rowe where he go. It may not be where I want to go. You see, the reality is that we can say, I live a lifestyle, people ought to just follow me, but do they know where they're following you? Without us telling them who we're following, they don't know. So the second thing that it involves is our lips. It involves our lifestyle. Certainly, we ought to be different in this world. We ought to exemplify Christ in everything that we are. But we need to speak about him too. Jesus told them in Matthew's gospel, teach, make disciples. The idea is that we're to show them, instruct them with words. We're to live the right kind of life, but we're also to share the right kind of faith. We must tell a lost world that Jesus loves them and he died for them and that if they will put their faith in him, he will save them and that they can walk through salvation with him if they will trust what he did on Calvary's cross so that they can have the forgiveness of sin. And then the the assurance of salvation is the fact that he rose from the grave. The tomb is empty. We have a message. Yes, we have a message to live, but we also have a message to tell. It's not enough just to show it. We must also say it. We have a divine mandate that takes our life, style, and our lips. Because we have also a divine message to share. Verse 20, Jesus tells his followers to share a specific message with the world. Now, the world's sharing a lot of things. There's a lot of ideologies out there. As a matter of fact, we were talking about philosophies of the world today in our Sunday school class and the fact that there are so many, and as a matter of fact, there's so many philosophies about the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've got to know what's true. Jesus told us there's a specific message to tell the world because that specific message is what's going to lead the world out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says, to observe all things whatsoever I command you. As we go and as we tell the world about Jesus, the message that we are to share is very clear. We're to share the gospel. Jesus came, lived a sinless life. He died on a cross for a debt that he did not owe, to pay a debt that I owed that I could not pay. And when he was dead, 
they buried him in the tomb. And, and when his dead body was sealed in the tomb, three days later, he rose from the grave. He ascended out of hell. He came back and said, I am alive. I've defeated both the grave and hell. And death has no victory over those who follow me. A world that is being crushed by the pressures of this world needs a hope that there is a salvation that can keep them from being crushed in this world. We have a message of hope. Our message is called the gospel. And Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. It is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Greek. It's a message that every person in the world needs to hear. It's a message that is universally acceptable. It's a message that is the potential to change every life and every eternity that falls under its power. For the Bible tells us in John's gospel that there is no other name under heaven or earth by which one can be saved. And the gospel message can change the heart and life of every sinner and change them from being lost to saved, from sinner to saint, from hell to heaven. It's the most important, powerful message the world has ever heard. And it's a message that must be delivered by God's people to a lost and dying world. There's no other message that, that God will use to draw a sinner to himself. And there is no other message he will use to save lost souls. Thirdly, the heat we gives us a divine mission. Again, in verse 19, he tells us to go teach all nations. We're to go. We can't sit here. We can't stay here. We've got to go. That's why I think mission trips are so important. And I believe more Christians ought to go on mission trips. You ought to get out of your comfort zone, get out of your zip code, and you ought to go to where people are lost and dying, where nobody knows your name, where only Jesus knows why you're there, and share the gospel. He says that we ought to teach all nations. In Mark's gospel, in chapter 16, verse 15, he says, Go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and then all the way to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus is simply telling us clearly that our mission is to every person everywhere. But can I just remind you that you'll never go everywhere if you won't go over there. If you and I won't go across the street to tell our neighbor, I doubt if we'll go across the zip code to tell someone else. How many of us have uncertainty about the spiritual condition of some of our neighbors. I do. I do. I wonder. I can sit there and just wonder or I can go find out. 
you can sit there and wonder or you can go find out. You see, just like baptism is the first basic step of, for every believer, it's that first step. Before we go to the, all the ends of the earth, what does it say? You will first be my witness in Jerusalem, right where you are. See, that really tells us that we've got to be a witness to our family and then our, our you know, extended family or our work family or our community before we'll ever get out to where others are. We've got to get past the fact that it's somebody else's job to realizing that it's our job. It's our mandate. It's our mission. It's our ministry. While God may never call you to go to a new city as we watch, as we're celebrating, uh, um, you know, any Armstrong North American missions, he may never call you to one of these major areas in uh, North America to go and plant a church. But you can go. See, when you give to North American missions, you're supporting ministry. You're supporting missions. You're going even if you're not going. But listen, let me just remind you that North American missions is open to everybody. North Carolina Baptists have opportunities for you to go to many cities across America, many places, many different reasons, disaster relief, feeding ministries, evangelism, camp ministries. I could go on and on. North Carolina is second only to Texas and the amount of opportunities that we give people to go do missions. The only reason Texas is bigger is because they're bigger. North Carolina Baptist have every opportunity to do the work of Christ wherever we want to go. It's our mission to give and to go. Fourth thing we find is that we have a divine mentor. In verse 20, Jesus reminds us that none of us are called to do this alone. Jesus doesn't send us off into the lost world without any resources. He doesn't expect us to accomplish the Great Commission in our own power. In fact, these verses give us the greatest resources we have as witnesses of the gospel. Look at what it says in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commend you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. First of all, we're promised his presence. Lo, I am with you always. I told my Sunday school class this morning the reason that Jesus had to, to, to go back to heaven 
he told his disciples was, I need to leave so that I can send forth the paraclete, the comforter, the Holy Spirit of God, so that he can be with all of you wherever I send you. Jesus understood that he could only be in one place at one time in his physical frame. But if he would ascend back to the Father and send the Holy Spirit in his place, the Holy Spirit of God can be here with us while he's with the church down the street and down that street and down that road and around the world. The Holy Spirit of God is meeting with his people because he promises to be with us all wherever we are. When you're standing there sharing the gospel with a friend or a family member or a total stranger, remember the Lord himself is right there with you. He will help you, enable you, embolden you so that you can be used of him if you will simply obey. Open your mouth and let God speak. You will never share the gospel alone. For the Bible tells us that God promises that he will speak through us because he will be with us wherever we go. Not only does he promise us his presence, but he promises us his power. You know, we were praying and preparing for the the drama last week. One of the things that, that I was praying for was, even though I knew that the, the script, the, the words that the actors were going to say, 99% of them were taken right from God's Word. And I believe that God's Word is divine. It is inspired. It is powerful. But what I was praying for was for those that were speaking those words because they were coming from mere men and women. And I was asking God to take his divine word, his inspired word, and inspire it again through the Holy Spirit as they spoke through men and women. And he did. If you were here, you experience the fact that God used those words. He, he empowered those words to touch hearts. The Bible says here that all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Jesus said, I then give it to you. Wow. We have all the power that we need. My words, your words, not going to save a person. But his word, empowered through us, can bring men and women to their knees, causing them to receive the salvation that God freely offers all who will believe. The power of God given unto us so that we might follow him. When you and I are faithful to share the gospel message, we have the confidence of God that his message will bring him glory. He says that when he speaks, his word shall not return unto him void. When he speaks through us,
that promise holds true. He will take our feeble words. He will attach his power to them. The Spirit of God will take our efforts and he will use our words and our feeble efforts and he will cause conviction to fall upon the hearts of those that are lost. So with that, with that understanding, with that knowledge, with that power, why are we still sitting here? Easter's over. Cross is empty. The grave is empty. The church should be empty. We should be out in the world telling the lost of what Jesus has done for us. So go. Go ye therefore into the world. Again, let me ask the question. Are you listening to the Great Commission? Or have you become part of the Great Omission? Are we as a church doing everything that we can to find inroads of outreach into the world around us? Or are we sitting back waiting for the world around us to slip into hell? Jesus wants you to finish what he began. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. He came to the disciples and taught them. He worked with them. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. But before he ascended into heaven, he gave us one last job to do. It's what we're all called to do until we go home to be with Jesus. He didn't ask us to do the impossible. He asked us to do the possible. We all need to know today that our efforts to honor Christ by obeying his call to make disciples of all nations is something every one of us can do. We can do it where we are. We can do it with those who we meet. We can do it with those who we work with. We can do it with those who we go to school with. We can do it with those that we meet along life's journey. Simply be a witness for Jesus in your life with your lifestyle and with your lips. And God will honor that by showing you he is still in the saving business. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the fact that Easter is over, now, we have been called to go out into the world, to let our light so shine that others might see Jesus in us. 
to be a light in the darkness, but to be a voice in the wilderness to tell others that the one who loved us loves them. The one who died for me died for them. The life that I now live, they can live too. Let us see, O oh Lord, our calling, our commission, our response.